This is the Poetry in Motion podcast on the Blood Red channel with Neil Fitzmorris, bringing you all the big news and even bigger views on Liverpool FC. Hello and welcome to another episode of Poetry in Motion uh, with me, Neil Fitzmorris, joined today by two heavyweights of the Liverpool Echo, uh, Sean Bradbury and Paul Ghost. How are you, boys? Not bad, Neil, yeah. All right. Yeah, you okay, Sean? Yeah, sun is shining. Not too bad. Trying to see the positives this week. That's the only positive we've got at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, this should be called the Tales and Woes of Liverpool FC at the moment, shouldn't it? It's, it is remarkable. I think I start every podcast uh, virtually the same way these days. Um, and we might as well start by just just saying that you, all these things sort of uh, pale into insignificance when we when we talk about Liverpool's look and, and the the look of the team and whatever when you when you realise the news that's that's hit us today. And I know Ghosty, you've done a story on it about um, Alisson's father being found dead. Um it's just it's like um it's like Jurgen Klopp or the owners of of Liverpool Football Club ran over a black cat and smashed into a into a into a lorry delivering six thousand minutes because the black the bad luck just goes on and on and on. And uh, what must be going through Alison's head uh, right now, Ghosty, uh, you can only imagine. Yeah, it's horrendous news, isn't it? It's um, something that came out overnight. Um, some reports in Brazil that um, his father, Jose, had um, been reported missing around about 5pm local time. He'd gone for, gone for a bit of a swim in the, the, um, in the river. Apparently, it was at a, at a property Damn. home. Yeah, um, in the dam at his property home. And... Um, they had to report a missing, and, and around about midnight, they, they found them. Unfortunately, so it's um, it's shocking news. It's it's horrendous um, for, for for the Becker family, isn't it? You know, obviously he's got an older brother, Muriel, who's a goalkeeper as well, and and his mother was was a handball player, would you believe? So I think it's um, it's a theme that runs right throughout the Becker family that they're all um, they're all good goalkeepers and. And so was his dad, and, and sadly he's passed away at the age of fifty-seven. Would you believe it? It's no age, is it? So horrendous. And, and obviously we, we know what happened with Jurgen Klopp's mother recently, and it's likely that Alison's not going to be able to, to get to, to his dad's funeral either. So just really is a, a, a horrendous time for for, um, for both of those really. And, and it's it's been nice to see some of the some of the people rallying around Alison today. I've seen David De Gea put out a tweet. Of, uh, of of him hugging Hallison and, and the, the caption was something like hey, we're all here for you or something so that that's nice to see but yeah I mean it's um, it, it's awful news and um, you know your heart goes out to him yeah it is terrible and it and it kind of makes a mockery of of the game really doesn't it when we talk about what's important and what isn't Sean and uh, absolutely it's 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 just truly awful isn't it for him and his family and like Gorsley said though it's been it's been quite heartening to see some of the support that, that's been out there on social media. You know, social media can be a toxic place at times, especially when it comes to football. But all of the Liverpool fans online and across the world have rallied around Alisson. And like Ghosty says, you know, others, lots of pundits, players from, from other clubs, rivals, which is, which is nice to see at this time. You know, it, it's a real shame. I thought this as well when that we had the tragedy recently of, of Klopp's mother passing away, that it's just such a shame that fans can't, you know, play a more active part in giving these guys a bit of support. You know, if, this, if the stadium was there, you know, I think I would like to think that it would give these these two fellas a bit of a lift with their recent bereavements to just have 40-odd thousand fans behind them, giving them a cheer and singing their name. But, you know, sadly we can't do that. But hopefully in a few months' time we'll be able to let all of them know what 
what they what they mean to us and what everyone's been missing. Um, but yeah, I think you're right, Fitty, what you said. It you know, fo- football means a lot to all of us at all times, doesn't it? And I think it has assumed in some ways an even greater significance in recent months, despite the fact that there's a lot of issues with the, the quality and the level of football and in Liverpool's case with their form and their success this season. But you know, there's, there's not a hell of a lot else going on in, in a lot of our lives at the moment, is there? Because we can't go out, we can't do things, can't go for a pint, you can't get away. And you know, football's been massive, but but yeah, it, it just totally pales away in significance compared to a tragedy like this. And, you know, I think whatever Alisson needs now to take a bit of time out or, or maybe he'll, he'll take the opposite view and he'll just want to focus and, and get his head down and do what he can and concentrate on the red. But yeah, all, all our thoughts with him and his family at the moment. Yeah, and Gorst, I mean, you would imagine that Jürgen Klopp being the kind of man that Jürgen Klopp is anyway as a hands-on kind of, you know, people person. But also, I, I would imagine he's on hand to, to, to offer words of comfort from a from a similar position, really, isn't he? I mean, we don't know the circumstances again, but obviously you're talking about you're talking about the manager losing his mother uh, and not being able to, to to be there and pay his respects, and you wonder whether um, he'll be there. He's an ideal person to have there to speak to, to speak to Alison to try and get him through these sorts of dark days. Yeah, I think so. I mean, Klopp's what's called 53, so he's not that much younger than than Alison's dad anyway. So it's there might be a little bit of a Similar type of relationship there between uh, Alisson and the club. They've known each other coming up towards, what is it, three years now. So if there's a manager who you want to kind of put an arm around you and, and say the right things and, and, and do the right things at, at such a horrific time, it probably is Liverpool's manager, isn't it? And I think, uh, I mean, we don't know at this stage, but I'd imagine Klopp will say to Alisson, what, what do you want to do about Sunday? You know, if you want to sit it out, no problem at all. If you want to sit out the next two or three games, that's fine. Or if you feel like you just want to dive back into it and, and carry on as you were and try and you know take your, your focus off 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 the news, then that that that's fine too. So it's uh, I'd imagine the decision will be Allison's to make, and I think just with them being so far away at, at the moment as well, that that'll be even more difficult for them. And it's obviously they're there with his young family and his wife, but um, just being so so far removed from the situation is probably even tougher for him. So um, he might just feel like he wants to, to crack on and train tomorrow, play Sunday and, and uh, carry on from into next week. But uh, I'm sure we'll find out a little bit more about the state of mind when, when Klopp speaks to us uh, in his press conference. Yeah, and it's interesting. I remember talking to an ex-player once who um, who said that when he was playing football, he, he, you could have the world of the weight on your shoulders. You could, you, could, you could be having the worst time in the world until you cross that white line and then Nothing mattered, and in fact, almost the football was the salvation. The football was the thing that, that that took them away from the madness and the horror that was going on. So you you might find that he's the kind of person who says, "No, I want to go out there and I want to do the thing I love to do," um, uh, and uh, to take his mind off it for ninety minutes, rather than you know what I mean. It's it, it's almost it saves him from the horror of it for ninety minutes. Either way, they have all our backing as they always do. So uh, our deepest sympathy and um, and respect goes to Alison and his family, of course. Um, and I know I know that you, Gorsley and Sean, feel exactly the same way. All right, let's let let let's move on to um, I'd say cheerier matters, but it's a strange situation. We are we can't buy a win, we can't buy a goal. I think that's the most important thing. Um, and I've said this before in previous podcasts. You know, every sort of last season, every, every virtually every week was breaking a new record, wasn't it? And then they're all just being put back in their place very, very nicely now. I mean, the latest, of course, to go is the um, is the is the, uh, the 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 defeat to Everton, of course, which hadn't happened for a long, long time. Um, 
were you surprised, Ghosty and Sean, by by the results? I mean, I was. I'll be honest with you, but were you surprised uh, in, in this in this ever strange season we're we're, we're 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 going through at the moment? Were you surprised that Everton finally pulled it off, Paul? No, I wasn't. Um, I feel like I'm watching the same game on repeat at Anfield at the moment. It's been that way for, for two months. Uh, ever since that West Brom game on the 27th of December, it's been Liverpool struggling to break down a team who uh, have got something to cling on to. They're getting men behind the ball. They defend them well. They're working hard. They're organised. They're well drilled. They're listening to the instructions and they're getting something to show for it. And that it was pretty much the same against Burnley. It's the same against Brighton. Uh, and to an extent, it's the same against Manchester United for, for large periods. Um Teams have kind of figured out the blueprint to counteract Liverpool now, and it's working, isn't it? And Everton were no different. So as soon as they got that early goal, the game went exactly at our thought it would. With Liverpool not really creating much, um, short of confidence, short of ideas, no fans in there to kind of drag them up, and it went uh, pretty much how we thought it was going to go. Sadly, and um, with everything that's happened over the last few weeks and months. Um, it was a perfect storm for Everton to come in and, and end that 22-year wait for a win at Anfield. First derby win for 11 years. Um, it was all kind of set up for that to happen and I wasn't surprised in the slightest. Yeah, Sean, it, it, I mean, Paul's just hit on it there. It's that blueprint, isn't it? And and, and we all sort of knew, um, or we had the inklings of knowing that we were being found out and we had been found out since last season. The problem, of course, is it's been beautifully camouflaged, hasn't it? There's been smoke and mirrors because we've had... We've had them other problems, and we've had the obviously the horrendous injury, and and and, and you know, uh, Henderson's injury just adds to the ridiculous um, circumstances around Liverpool Football Club at the moment. But we've had that thing where we've said um, it's okay. What it is is we've, we're we're taking midfielders into the defence, so that is disrupting uh, the front three. Actually, now what's becoming clearer is that that front three just aren't working at the moment, and I think I think more importantly. It seems to me that the blueprint is just stop Mane and stop Salah and we don't really have much to worry about with Firmino. And sadly, that very much seems to be the case with with um, with the way he plays because he's not a traditional nine and because we don't seem to have a third threat, do we? Keep the other two wide um, and handle Firmino. And, and that's pretty much us done and dusted, isn't it, Sean? Sadly, it, it is increasingly looking like that, isn't it? And, you know, without... Like you say, going back to the injury situation, without options, realistic <coughs> options off the bench to change it. Um, you know, I know there's 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 so much there's the likes of Origi and Shakiri who've who've been around, but you're not really backing them to come into that front line and make a substantive difference at the moment. Jot is the one that you really wish had been around over these last few weeks when the goings got really tough to provide an alternative or even start, and then <coughs> you have a situation where Firmino or perhaps one of the others, but most likely Firmino would be a substitute and could be quite a good impact sub. But yeah, for me, you know, I think we've seen the seeds of it for a little while. I'm a little bit more optimistic about his, his kind of long-term future still than than some observers and some things I've read over the last few weeks. But I think it's almost splitting into like a home and away thing for him at the moment. I think if football play away from home or perhaps hopefully, you know, what we'll see in Europe if they beat Leipzig and they, and they go through, I think teams who are going to play in a slightly more open and expansive way and have a go at Liverpool, essentially, you then start to give pockets of space and room to operate for someone like Firmino who thrives on that and sees a loose ball and pounces on it and, and he can almost wind the clock back a bit and be the Firmino of old but at home especially in this kind of dull environment of teams really sitting in 
and you know much more than I thought they would be to be honest over the past few weeks and months. Um, I think the conditions of this season where the truncated schedule has meant that teams don't want to expend as much energy, that they're sitting in, they're not pressing as much, and there's just no room for him to operate. And, and like you said, Fitty, I think you, you question what what the necessity of a number nine like like him is really, because he's been so crucial to how Liverpool play. But if teams are going to sit that deep and not give him any room, and we're going to maybe attack a, a bit more through central areas using the likes of Thiago and you know, Trent and Robertson, that the penetration isn't really there for them in the, to the same extent at the moment. Then, yeah, you do start to think in, in those circumstances, is it is it worth a change? And the Liverpool have to look ahead to the summer and, and bring someone else in. But, but I do think, you know, lockdown, I think a lot of it started last season with Firmino and there was a bit of a dip there at quite a significant level. But, but it's often at home in those games where, as Liverpool have developed and become more of a controlled possession-based team, it perhaps doesn't play to its strength so much. Um so we'll see. But yeah, just just last point then on, on terms of what you guys have said so far about the, the early goal was an absolute killer, wasn't it? Because you know, we've, we've seen teams, you know, put poor teams really who've been able to frustrate Liverpool by sitting in. But if you give the likes of Everton or recently against Southampton a chance to then just form a low block and frustrate you, you know, they've got good players who can do that and then maybe hit you on the break and catch you out again. But yeah, it was everything that went wrong did go wrong really for Liverpool. But, but like Gorsi said, I don't think they can have any complaints, and it, it wasn't a massive surprise. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, like every game we've played this season, if it was about possession and passing, there is no problem at Liverpool that outpassing, outpossessing. But of course, I know that it's a false sense of security because teams are saying, "Yeah, you crack on with the ball because you're not going to score." So, <clears throat> in terms of you know, there is the odds drop in concentration and, a, and maybe a loose pass, but. Everything's there apart from the final third, isn't it? And what makes what what's an interesting one goes? And I will say this over the Everton game. I, I don't care what anyone says. That's not a penalty. But you know, I mean, it's it's a little bit like crying after it's all gone because we went. It didn't look like we were going to equalise anyway. But that's not a penalty. I'm not having it anyway. <clears throat> what's it? And what gets me? Is the, the, it was like the ref had ran to the telly and and and, and it wasn't plugged in. So we just turned around and went back again. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I'd look at it or don't. But you know. Um, What's an interesting thing is the last time Liverpool really freely expressed themselves in front of goal was the Crystal Palace game, wasn't it? When when Minamino played and and, and, and the pundits and all the, all the experts talking on Match of the Day later on were talking about the spaces that he provided uh, with his runs and the runs through the centre and, and, and it almost it almost um, gave us that option that we didn't normally have because he... he it, Pockets of space were created by defenders going with Minamino up the middle. He goes from us to Southampton, scores against Chelsea uh, at the weekend, a goal just like what we're talking about. On the shoulder of the last defender, he splits the two central defenders. There's no faffing about on the wings. It's a ball right through the middle to Minamino, who, 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 who you know, puts the, puts the uh, defender and keeper on the backsides and flicks a beautiful ball in the net. And, you know, I'm not one of these who argued much when Minamino left because I felt like there was a weakness with him. I felt he was weak on the ball and he definitely needed to progress in areas. But it's interesting, isn't it, that, that, that since someone else who had a different running pattern left the club, we found it really, really difficult to, to, to break that pattern. Gorsty, if, if, if Jota does come back soon, um, is it in Klopp's... Is it in his is it in his uh, his belief structure to change the way Liverpool play to allow to allow that kind of, of play or does he really only know one sort of way? I think the only thing that he might tweak is is kind of reverting to the four two three one, which we've seen when Jota was kind of at his height 
early in the season, around about October, November, because we've seen happen. We went, yeah, particularly at Manchester City, that, that was the one where I think it most surprised people where he only played with the two midfielders and he went with the, the almost a front four, if you like. And I think Jota does give him that option, uh, particularly when you, your midfielders are dropping like flies as well. So if there's no Jordan Henderson, then you, you think maybe Wijnaldum and, and Thiago would get the nod and, and Jota comes back in alongside the traditional front three. But um, I think... As, as, as we mentioned here about Firmino, I think he's kind of getting away with with an awful lot, to be honest. I mean, last season it wasn't a problem for Liverpool because he was contributing, he was scoring important goals. But he, but he didn't. He scored one in Anfield, and it was the last game at home against Chelsea when, when they won 5-3 and they'd already won the league. Um, this season, he, he's basically carried that on, and at a time when Liverpool are, are struggling, that's when you can start looking at it and thinking, maybe that this lad needs to do a bit more. I mean... Every time he shoots, it's not, it's not done with any particular conviction. He doesn't feel like he he thinks he's going to score. Um, it's, 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 okay, we know he's not in the in the team to score thirty goals a season. That's not his role. But even his his kind of you know laying the balls onto Mane and Salah, some of that's been sloppy. He's been giving it away. You know, at times when it would have been easier to find this man, and 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 I think he needs to up his game. But on the other hand, I think because there's no Minamino there. The, the option is is an Origi use Liverpool career looks like it's it's on his last legs. Maybe there's a bit of a security there for him knowing that he's going to be picked, you know, whatever the weather. So I just think it, it, everything's a knock on effect. You know, the midfield's a knock on effect from the lack of defenders. That has an, an effect up front, and players are maybe a little bit more comfortable than, than they should be. And um, it's just a, a worry in malaise, which has been around now for. Well, two months. I always go back to that West Brom game as kind of the one that, that turned the season, and and since then it's it's been disastrous. Yeah, it has been. It has been poor. I mean, talking about defence and midfield, Quebec still looks a little bit like a, a deer with it caught in the headlamps, doesn't he? He's he, every time the camera goes on, he looks very very nervy. Um, he seems to make kind of you know unforced errors every now and again. He doesn't look like. I mean, we did say this. We've been screaming for, for centre-backs. One of the things I've said all along is we need to buy a centre-back who can, who can hit the ground running. And and we didn't. We, we went we went to eBay, really, didn't we? And what we've got is... What we've got is basically two centre-backs. One that looks like he'd probably never play for us. And the other one who can't be trusted alongside Nat Phillips. Um, so what it looks like is when we, when we get Fabinho back, he still ain't going to be going in midfield. This isn't, it's a real sort of... It's a real sort of false economy, is it not, Sean? That, that, we're, that we've got these two players, and that really, one is struggling to make his place. The other one isn't isn't anywhere near starting. Do you think? And I, and I don't think anyone as fans, Sean. I don't think any of us believe that he's going to suddenly go right. Fab back in midfield, and um, we're going to start with Phillips and Quebec because I don't think he has the confidence in any of the ones he's got. Do you? No, I, I think you're right. And and Fabinho, I mean, I'd love to see him back in midfield, but I. I We've said this on, on pods over the last few weeks. I, I doubt he's been training as a midfielder for, for a long, long time. You know, he's, he's set as a centre-back and given all the other injuries, you know, you, you can't, even if you did go with, say, Kabak and Davis or whatever, or whatever combination, it, you can't trust that combination to be resilient enough to last through the rest of the season and, and therefore maintain Fabinho's position in midfield. I think, yeah, he's, he's going to have to stay there, which, you know, further disrupts the midfield, especially with injury to Henderson, which we're waiting on proper prognosis of and, a kind of timescale of how long he'll be out for. But yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it also comes back to what we were all saying the last time I was on on this this very pod. Um, you know, the, the the big issue was 
how long they waited to get these centre backs in. And it was a very un Liverpool, an un Michael Edwards like thing to be scrabbling around on deadline day and getting a couple of what I think we can fairly say a compromised candidate in. Um, you know, one who's a, a bit of a gamble from a lower league who, who may well turn out to be a good player, and and the other, which has kind of pretty much been picked pitched as a try before you buy deal with Quebec. You know, it's it's only a loan and Liverpool can buy him if they want in the summer. But yeah, it, it, so far, I think Quebec, the, the, there's been errors and and I think it, even in the derby, like that that opening goal, of, you know, the more I watch that back, he seems to make a, a little initial movement towards Rodriguez. Then he pulls back and, and that just, you know, kind of loses him any sort of advantage in terms of Richarlison and, and watching where he is and then suddenly he's away and, no, I don't think you can't blame him entirely, but I don't think he covered himself in glory there. But yeah, you know, he, he's a youngster and he always would have needed time to settle, even if the rest of the team was fully formed around him. You know, he, he obviously does get a little bit of leeway for that. But I think where he's been let down and where the team's been let down really is not getting someone in sooner. You know, if if though obviously there was the whole matter thing and, and that clouds the situation a little bit further, but like we've said countless times, surely after those big injuries to Van Dijk and Gomez, so at the latest in November, Liverpool should have been looking at getting someone through the door on the 1st of Jan. You know? And even if that was Quebec then, again, we're not privy, we don't have perfect information. I don't know how the negotiations and the deal unfolded. That might have not been possible on the 1st of January, but that would have given him a little bit more time to bed in and he could have been a little bit more settled before this really tricky run of games that Liverpool are going through now and things might have been a little bit different. Emotion on the Blood Red Channel. Nat Phillips came on the other night, and, and and Sean again. I mean, the kid, you know, the kid doesn't really put a foot wrong. He's 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 absolutely what you see is what you get. You know, he's your no frills, loaf, white, medium sliced loaf. Anybody's fine. He's, he's you know, and he's great in the air, and he, and he looks like he's deaf. He's really trying to impress. I I honestly wouldn't, I wouldn't have any problems with Klopp putting Phillips in with with. Kabak and then trying to sort out that midfield with a, a stronger combination. The sad thing is, I just don't think that Klopp's confidence is anywhere near um, what it should be, and I, and I don't think he is going to he is going to take those chances. And it is remarkable. I mean, you know, I'm I'm looking at reports today that are talking about him possibly leaving next season and becoming a German German coach by 2022. I mean, it's it, it's just remarkable, isn't it? This is like some weird episode of Sliders where we've entered some alternate universe. Um, what What's going on, Ghosty? I'm blaming you. No. Um, what's, <laughs> it's, so it's, it's, it, But, I mean, I, do, you know, I, I don't know what the, the transfer situation is. and I, We don't know how hard it was to get a centre-back in, but the idea that, 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 that we get two in that one can't really be. I know. I don't know. When, I know Ben Davies is supposed to have got a bit of an injury, but Klopp's very much picks his teams on how they train, doesn't he? And whether or not Klopp's just not seeing what he, what he, or whether or not he didn't even want these players in the first place, and they've just gone, yeah, there's two we've just picked up off um, out of a car boot sale and real. But I just don't know. But it just, <laughs> it just seems like we're, we're we're not going forward with any any of the options we've got, Paul. Yeah, I mean, the first thing what I want to say is those. Um, I, th- I think I've seen a bit of it before, but I wouldn't put too much stock in this idea that Klopp's going to be leaving. Um, e- easier for, for the long haul, thankfully. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with Sean. I mean, I, 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 obviously there will have been factors at play in terms of why Liverpool couldn't have brought in Kabak on the 1st of January. But 
it was negligent for Liverpool not to have a, a shiny new centre back on the first of January with the New Year's Day hangover lifting up the you know Kabak five or whatever it is. It's just Liverpool knew for months that they, had, they needed a defender. They knew from when Van Dijk went down. Well, they knew from when Lovren went to to Zenit, and I think that might have been August. And then they knew when Van Dijk went down in the middle of October, and then when Gomez went down in November. They've known for some some time that they've needed a centre back and um, kind of sticking a sticking a plaster over something that needed surgery. And um, it's I, I think they've kind of been lured into a false sense of security by the results because they've only started to turn the last couple of months. I think they weathered the storm really well in October and November, and then for most of December. Um, but that probably should not have, have clouded Liverpool's judgment. They should have went. Out. And we know that, that money was stretched and whatever else, and they were only able to kind of take advantage of Ben Davis's contract situation, which which probably tells you an awful lot, doesn't it, when they're having to to kind of wheel and deal for the lad from Preston um, in the closing stages of the transfer window. No disrespect to Preston, of course, but it's it's, it's a huge step up to coming into Liverpool. But this was kind of the level that Liverpool felt they were only able to go to until they managed to to bring in Kabak, who's only twenty himself, still relatively. Untested himself, isn't he? So it's uh, it's been a really difficult situation. But um, I mean, it's easy for me to say, but I just feel like like many people, perhaps more could have been done to to uh, to help Klopp out in in January. Yeah, I mean, we got that thing, didn't we, Sean? When when um, when Brendan Rodgers left Liverpool and we had the you know the Balotelli buys and all them kind of things, and uh, and then. And then, you know, fast forward to last year or the year before, I can't even remember what it was now, or maybe even earlier than that, when Rodgers brought out this book, I think, and it was all like, you had no idea the transfer policy that that club had that I had to put up with. And I can't help but feel that somewhere down the line, no matter what happens with Klopp, he is going to come out at some point and go, you wouldn't believe what I had to put up with after we did all these amazing things. Because that's the, that's the massive irony of it, is this has all come after he has totally proven to these owners that if he's given money to buy players and we buy the right players we fix the 30 year wait ultimately because we bought Virgil van Dijk and Alisson behind him and that turned Liverpool into also runs and possibles into flying miles ahead of anyone into closing the 24 point gap on Man City by one point and then by launching ahead and winning the league by 20 odd points or whatever it was we did and we can only we only we can only see now in the in the loss of Van Dijk what it's done to this side really, and they were the biggest buys we ever had. And yet after that, you know I can't believe for one second Klopp hasn't turned around and said, "Are we not? Are we not strengthening this this side now? Are we not? These are the, we're building the foundations here. Are we not pushing on? And to and to to you know to get a a nine hundred thousand pound loan deal for a for a German kid who's been uh, in a relegated club and, and was currently in a club that was bottom of the league, and a, and a, and a, and a centre back from Preston, is it, it's almost embarrassing, isn't it, John? Yeah, I mean, you know, FSG. I, I think uh, in terms of being like isolated decision makers, I think they've been they've been superb. Haven't they? you know, getting Klopp in in the first place was a massive coup. Everything they've done around the stadium, the decision to stay where they are and, and redevelop it was great. What they've done with Edwards and promoting him through the ranks and you know the, the the building of the infrastructure of the club in that respect has been has been almost faultless and second to none. But then yeah there's this there's now this bigger almost overriding decision of what does success look like at Liverpool for them. And okay, they, they were quite upfront about when they came in that Liverpool would live within their means. They spend money that they generated and 
I guess from their perspective, you could say that they are trying to build that pot, you know, look at the commercial side of things and the night deal and, the, and they're looking to make progress there. But, but yeah, the, the bare facts of it are spend and net spend. There's several clubs and not just Man City who are out doing Liverpool. And, and this is this is not just this is not a Liverpool team who are playing catch up who are in mid table or whatever. It's a Liverpool team who you know over the last few seasons, year in year out, have been in the Champions League, have been right at the top end of the table. And it, and it's that whole argument of strengthening from a position of strength, which I think on on a broad brush level that they haven't really done. Okay, you can point to Thiago and Jota, and and like they were two big signings uh, in a difficult climate that did help. But it goes back a couple of windows, really, doesn't it? Um, yeah, I, I think I think there's no there's no doubt about it that Klopp will have would have had private misgivings about that. Don't get me wrong. I, I think, like Gorsi said before, I don't think there's anything we'll have seen over the past few months that would make him think long term this isn't the right place for me to be. You know, there's there's so much mitigation over and above what we're saying here around Liverpool season. Now, I do think Liverpool will be a a strong force again next season. You know, there's there's a long way to go in this one. They could still well have a good run in the Champions League, but it's that whole idea of, of FSG at this stage speculating to accumulate a little bit more, and and it's what they're risking with their own investment. You know, if Liverpool don't get back in the top four um, by the end of this season and they don't go on to win the Champions League, then so many questions start appearing over the summer that could have been avoided. Well, that's it, and and it's you know it's that age old thing, Ghost, isn't it? Owners of football clubs aren't football fans. Um, and a lot of, you know, a lot of players, even themselves, a lot of players don't feel for the club the way the fans do. We will always be the purest form of support for our football club. No one will ever stand up to that. We know that. We get that. But it's remarkable, isn't it? You know, you, as owners, they're over there. They don't come. They haven't come over. Obviously, there are reasons why. We understand that. They're making decisions now purely based on commercialism, which is probably what they've always done. But... That whole thing of like, you know, building doubters into believers is starting to crumble and go backwards very, very quickly. People are now going to, teams are going to Anfield last season. Um, the three points were slipping out the hand as they were driving into the car park because it was like driving into a fortress. That's That's been shattered in, in, a, in a matter of months, hasn't it? Because because people are going to go and, well, they have, they've lost four on the trot and, 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 and you know, there's, we know there's no fans and there's no real atmosphere for them and stuff, but... It's about the building them foundations, isn't it? I mean, Guardiola's even come out and, and said, you know, we've got loads of money and we buy the best players in the world. <laughs> this guy will go, at least he's now admitting it. And I don't want it to be, I don't want it to be a game of monopoly. I really don't. I've said this before. But I just feel like um, we are a prime example. I think we are the templates that a lot of clubs and owners are going to hold up to potential um, ownership owners to say, this is how you don't do it. Um, after you've, you know, after you've made a team into a, into a, into title winners and stuff, this is what you don't do the season after, Paul. Uh, yeah, I, I can see that that point of view. I think they've been terribly unlucky with with everything that's happened in terms of the worldwide events and then the injuries on top of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, their ownership model has always been for them not to take any money out. But by that token, you expect it to be kind of self sufficient and out of time. When Anfield's closed, they're losing around about three million pound every home game, and they've still got one of the biggest wage bills in football at around about 310, 15 million. Um, and that was on that was before you're factoring in the money that Thiago and, and Jota are on, which conservatively it suggests is what two hundred thousand pound a week between them. So, um, 
it, it's difficult, but um, I do think that at certain points there does have to be a bit of kind of um, pragmatism and a little bit of a breaking of the mould um, to to um, just just to give yourself a fighting chance. I mean, if, if they're expected for Jurgen Klopp to just carry on and and uh, keep this team at the top of English football with everything that's happened to them this season, then it's it, it, they're asking far too much of the manager and, and the players who were fit. So um, I just felt like maybe something could have been done to, um, to, to to kind of help them out a little bit more. I mean, I don't think anyone was seriously asking for an £80 million centre-back through the door in, in January. It was more just a case of um, what can be done. Can there be, you know... 10, 15 million spared to, to bring in someone in. Instead, they were left to kind of take advantage, as I say, take advantage of a contract situation for Ben Davis, who was on his way to Celtic, got got in for, for £500,000. And then they've negotiated what could be a, a clever loan deal for, for Kabak. And if, if he turns out to be half decent, then then you'll be able to get him at £18 million as opposed to, to 30 which were the figures that were quoted in, in the summer. But at the moment, you know, you're three games in and, and you're still... Yet to form a definitive opinion. I thought he was solid at Leicester until Allison ran into him. Uh, thought he, he was he was excellent against Leipzig when he kept the clean sheet, and um, I didn't think he, he was great against Everton, getting caught out against Richarlison and and the high balls of, as you mentioned. So um, it's it's difficult, but I, I do feel at some stage the owners could have looked at it and, and thought to have maybe maybe lent their support a little bit more. Yeah, it's it just, it's an odd, it's a, it's a, it's a, I just feel ultimately that we, you know, we, we, we asked for the dishwasher and we got a bowl of soapy water, do you know what I mean? But, um, <laughs> I mean, listen, who'd be in the transfer market? I mean, we played, la- we, we, let's talk about the, um, uh, let's talk about the Champions League game. Uh, we played Leipzig and uh, Upa Meccano as an absolute man, <laughs> who was one of the players that we were linked with for months and months and months and would have cost an absolute fortune. Um, but there you go. You know, I, I was saying that a Liverpool, uh, you know, a European run might be the best thing for Liverpool. It might be something that they look forward to. It's a different kind of game. Um, it's a different pace to the game. But even when you look at that, I mean, yeah, we get two goals, but they're both gifts, aren't they? And you do wonder, you do wonder where the goals were going to come, come from before before those defensive errors. And um, it's just a case now, I think, isn't it, Sean, where Liverpool. Those certainly Mane and Salah just have to try and reboot the systems, don't they? Somehow, um, because they're the threat we've gotten, and, and they're not posing it. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Obviously, the, the the goals were errors, but I think in in some respects they were errors that were pounced upon because of Liverpool's pressure and, and what they were exerting, and just they're, they're kind of foothold in the game uh, in that respect. You know, don't get me wrong, like Leipzig had big chances, didn't he? Um, and you know could could and should have scored at least one, but I thought you know just in a general sense Liverpool were sharper, and and it goes back to what we were saying before. It was just more of a situation where a team is going to have a go at you, which is you know in some respects what you shouldn't do against Liverpool. And as a lot of the teams in the Premier League have dug in and and shown that that's how you get a result. You know if you you come for a draw and hope there's the chance you might get one or two opportunities and you put them away with Liverpool as they are at the moment, you might well win it. But I, I actually kind of more saw the positives of that, of that Leipzig performance. I just think, you know, given that it came when the team were otherwise otherwise in the doldrums a little bit, it was it was a bit of a welcome return to form, you know, and, and two of the main men getting on the score sheet at the very least. I thought, you know, Firmino did okay. 
like Gorsi said before, Quebec played well. Um, so, you know, to, to get a clean sheet away, if you like, I know it wasn't a Leipzig usual ground, but it, it was something to hold on to and, and something to build on, hopefully, for the rest of the Champions League campaign. And I think the, the one thing there, don't get me wrong, there's uh, the, the teams, just trying to find the teams who are likely and to be in the Champions League in the next round. I mean, it's a ridiculous list, isn't it? You know, you've obviously got Bayern, who will, who will definitely be there. City, after their win the other night, you'd imagine will be there. PSG, after absolutely spanking Barca, will be there. Madrid, Dortmund, probably. Chelsea, Um you know, it's 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 quite an imperious list, but in the main, it's teams who will have a go at Liverpool. So if the Reds can hold on to this lead and wherever the second leg is played, negotiated successfully, I think they'll be in with a chance against any of them. And 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 that obviously that sounds a bit mad. You know, you think of how good PSG or Bayern or whoever you want to pick from that list has looked, how dangerous they are, and how flimsy Liverpool have looked. But I think every every single team there, home or away or neutral or whatever these ties are played, will. If Liverpool progress, they'll take the game to Liverpool. So you know, I, you know, I'm not quite going to say I think winning the Champions League is is Liverpool's best hope of getting back in it next season. I think obviously there's a long way to go with the Premier League and getting in that top four still has to be the main aim of the season and, and the main thing that everyone's talking about and thinking about in Kirby, you know, day to day. But Liverpool have got a sniff in this Champions League. I think I looked at the odds the other day and I think they're they're still third or fourth favourites. So you know, I think the the threat that Liverpool carry is still there and you know the bookies think that way and let's hope all these other teams still think that way a little bit yeah and I think I think even 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 given the current uh, form uh, Paul I think Liverpool still retain that sort of era of domination in Europe I don't think any of those teams that Sean just mentioned uh, will want to particularly face us in fact every single one of those teams that Sean just mentioned have been spanked by us over the last couple of seasons so <laughs> There's still there's still a prospect there, and, and that's why I feel sometimes that Europe is a, is a welcome distraction, because it sort of resets the way they're, they're playing, because they are attacked a bit more and they are given more opportunities. But um, do you know of any uh, has any decision been made on the way the second leg's going to be yet, Paul? Not yet, no. Um, I, I was talking to to a colleague, Ian Doyle, about it yesterday, and, and still nothing. Um, but you'd imagine that. They're going to have to make a decision pretty soon, aren't they? Because um, when is it? Is it the 7th of March? That, that 10th. Day? 10th. Yeah, they're going to have to, to figure it out quite soon, aren't they? And, and it was interesting, actually, because <clears throat> um, after the end of Klopp's press conference in, in Budapest, just as, as he was signed off, he, he just said, uh, you know, cheers, guys. I'll probably see, see us all here again in a few weeks, which kind of hinted that maybe he thinks that we're going to be back in the, in the Puskas Arena for that one. But as of yet, uh, no decision, but... Um, to be honest, it's probably not a bad thing that Liverpool are getting asked to, to play away from Anfield the way they've been the last last few weeks. Well, that's it. I suppose there's a parity to, to having both legs in the same ground, isn't it? So that way there is not that there is any any kind of uh, advantage to be played. But I suppose if you have it in the same ground, then um, then at least no one can argue with that. And like you say, isn't it funny? I used to sign off these. I used to sign off these podcasts by by reading off the next six matches and saying, "Yeah, we're back at home. It's fantastic, isn't it?" It is remarkable, isn't it? And, and 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 such a kind of it's an indictment, but it's also a, a sort of a backhanded compliment to just how important Liverpool fans are to this team, isn't it? Because I don't know of a worse, I'm not sure of a worse home ground at the moment for for any teams when it comes to form, because uh, we just it it just seems to be the worst place for us to be at the moment, Sean. Oh, absolutely, you know. I, it's one of them, isn't it? You feel you've got to watch your words quite carefully when you say that Liverpool are 
suffering from the lack of fans thing almost more than any other club. But I think there's certainly truth to it. And I think a lot of it, in a way, comes back to what you said before, Fitzy. It's not necessarily the noise and the volume of fans on any given day because, you know, we, we all know what Anfield can be like on a big European night or for a derby or United, whoever. It can be great. But we also know for Burnley on a Saturday lunchtime, it might not be the highest level of decibels. You know, it, it can be a little bit flat. So, But it, but it's more that aura and the fortress Anfield, which I think, yeah, you've got to say that that whole thing has crumbled. I, I don't think there's any way if fans are in there say this at least, that Liverpool lose the amount of home games that they have so far this season. And I think I'm not necessarily saying that that long and proud record would still be intact, but what have they lost? Is it four on the bounce at home? There's no way that's happening with fans. You know, it, it, raising the team's own game and intimidating the away side, that happens at least to an extent, surely. Uh, I think, though, it, in, interestingly, looking ahead to the, the game this weekend, uh, Sheffield United, I think there's two teams where you can say, I've got grounds that can at least at times provide a bit of an intimidation factor and I think you know that was one thing that swept swept Sheffield United up the table last season was how tough it was to go there and, and get a game won so yeah you know that that's one team who was champions on 99 points and is currently only on 40 and another team who finished they finished top half didn't they with 50 odd points in there they've only got 11 at the moment so yeah I, I don't think you have to look far and, and Man City as well I always remember Carragher said um, I think it was just just when football came back last season after the restart. He said, you know, this this cold kind of clinical behind closed doors environment, it's going to suit City. And, you know, I don't think we wanted to believe it. And then there were some performances like particularly the one against Palace at home, what it wasn't there at Liverpool, were convincing and they generated their own intensity, scored a few goals and marched towards the title. But I think he's ultimately been proved right. You know, there's, there's some teams who can just go anywhere now it doesn't matter if it's home or away and do their thing and Man City are a team who are benefiting from it and I think you know Liverpool and Sheffield United and certain others are, are really feeling the effects of it Yeah it's remarkable I think Paul isn't it that City are doing what they're doing without Aguero and De Bruyne um, 19 on the spin now and I, I, you know it was it was last season this is what we were doing but um, and, the, and you know you can argue that this is the season that City had last season because because you know they went from crown and champions to, to struggling and not quite as badly as probably we are now, but the, whereas we kind of carried the baton and went right through to, to the title. And this is almost the second tricky album thing, isn't it? Where everyone's everyone's a little bit kind of, you know, you feel like they haven't really been able to celebrate it and they're not going to now. And again, we have to keep stressing as well that I, I can't remember a, a, another season where a team has gone through such disarray when it comes to, you know, what are we on our 18th or 19th different centre-back combination or, or, you know, whatever that madness is. Um, but just looking at the games coming up, Sheffield United, obviously, on Sunday. And then, again, I would normally say then we've got two home games, Chelsea and Fulham. <laughs> but then, you know, you just think there doesn't seem to be any advantage whatsoever at home anymore. I think basically what we're saying is we can't wait for this bleeding season to end. Is that right, Paul? <laughs> yeah, you're right, actually, because you're thinking ahead to the good news we had this week, you know, the tentative good news. With the dates, you think the fans are going to be back in next season, so we all just can't wait for that one, can we? When Anfield's hopefully full again, fifty-four thousand cheering them on. But um, the the problem is, is you can't even just write off this season because Liverpool absolutely have to make sure they're in that top four because it'll just have a knock-on effect that'll set them back seasons for the, for the money that the that it won't bring in, and, and we know that what the owners are like, um, they're not going to be. 
kind of um, sanctioning a, a massive spending spree without that Champions League money. So, um, if that doesn't happen, then Liverpool can kiss goodbye challenging City for, for a couple of years at least, I'd suggest. So, it's vital. And, and I think that starts with, obviously, a big one on Sunday against bottom of the league. But uh, they, they, they've got to bounce back against Chelsea. They've just got to go and win that one because if they don't, then um, I fear that they might not be getting top four. And then you're looking on them winning the Champions League and, and that's going to be difficult um, when they've got no defenders. So, um, yeah, all, all very positive at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Well, let's let's try and pull... Uh, I mean, I know one positive is is um, Jota, Fabino and Keita uh, hopefully coming back to fitness. I mean, I don't know how long Keita's would be. Uh, presumably, you know, he's made out of that stuff. They, they make them UV lighting tubes with any... Give him a flick and he shatters into about a thousand pieces. Um <laughs> But but I mean we have to we have to try and find the positives. I mean our next six games are Sheffield United Sunday. That's a quarter past seven kickoff. Absolutely bonkers. Uh, Liverpool Chelsea, which is uh, Thursday the fourth of March, and that's quarter past eight kickoff. Uh, and Liverpool Fulham seventh of March, which is a two o'clock kickoff. And then we've got the Leipzig uh, second leg, and then we've got Wolves away fifteenth of March, Arsenal at home. And then Aston Villa at home, where it all began, really, the Villa thing, isn't it? Suppose you can look at with the, the first leg. And then, obviously, well, actually, last week's probably where it all began uh, with the derby and, and the consequences that that had for us. We have to look at the positives. Let's try and end it on the positives. Um, Jota back, but we don't know when he's going to be back in. Klopp doesn't really like to uh, to rush plays in. And you can imagine why, you know, uh, with the kind of injury list we've got. If we can get try and get some sort of stability, if we can try and get Cater playing for more than a couple of games before he pulls up. And you know what? Maybe the t- maybe it, it could be time for, for Klopp to say, Nat Phillips, you know. The thing is, if you put it, if you it, you can always change things while it's going on, can't you? If he starts with Phillips and he starts with Kabak and then he has Fabinho further forwards, trying to create things with Thiago, if it doesn't work, he can always swap, can't he? Um, that's where we have to look at it. We have to look at it, as you've just said, Paul. We've got to be optimistic. All right, give us an um, optimistic scoreline, Sean, for Sunday against Sheffield United, my friend. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think Liverpool will win. I think you know some of those names you mentioned there. If, if there's any way of getting Cater involved, I think he's he's been a massive miss. You know, I reckon if we can reconfigure the midfield a little bit and maybe do what you've said, Fitty, and just play defenders at the back, I'm going to go three-one again. Three one, what, three goals from them. We haven't scored in two years. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he's getting them. <laughs> Gorsty, what do you think, kid? Uh, I think they'll keep them out. I think uh, Sheffield United looked a bit toothless whenever I've seen them this season, and, and the bottom for a reason. So, I think Liverpool will, will come away comfortably two nil. Well, I'll have to go with that. I'll go with one nil. I'll have the one goal for me. I just hope more than anything, if Allison does play, he has an absolute worldie. Because um, if anyone deserves that, it's him, isn't it? Um, all right, lads. This was another. Um, this was another meeting for Liverpool FC fans uh, anonymous. Um, <laughs> well, all right, we'll be fine. We've been through worse. We all know that, mate. And uh, you know, it's funny, isn't it? I think if anything, it will make us. We'll all be watching the DVD of when we won the frigging title and uh, <laughs> last season, and it'll make us realise just how fragile this game is, one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul Gorse, thank you once again, mate, for your knowledge. Uh, Sean Bradbury, again, thank you very, very much, lads. Uh, this was Neil Fitz on Poetry in Motion. Keep the faith, Reds. We've been through worse. We all know that. And uh, things can only get better. I wish I could sign off with the Yaz song, which would sum that up. Uh, all right, boys, take it easy. This was another Poetry in Motion. 
You've been listening to the Poetry in Motion podcast on the Blood Red channel.